are cards near you, and you're going to need a card and a pen. So if you'll just take a moment now to find a card and a pen. If there is not a pen on you or at your row, just look around and get one from a neighbor. The other way this could go wrong is that you could refuse to do that, but I've got confidence in you. So most Sundays you hear from one of the three pastors, Jeff, Jody, or Matt. And to me, I think Jeff is about moving us from one place to the next as God leads him. I think Matt is the scholar who can give us a glimpse into what the best minds are exploring in the realm of God, both historically and currently. And I think Jody always refreshes us with relationship and love from and with God. So then every now and then, like today, you get the action of a teacher. My background is teaching and administration. And when a teacher has hold of a room full of adults, there's usually an action component. When the, my teacher days, we called it make and take. So if I had a group of teachers, they wanted to leave with something that they could use on Monday. This is no different. Our highest quality as teachers is that we are learners. And hopefully, we can inspire you to be the same. So true to my calling, I want you to leave here with something useful that you're going to put into practice tomorrow. So now that you have, is there anyone that doesn't have a card or a pen? Okay. So the best environment for learning is a relaxed one. So now I want you to look around, find someone whose first name you know, but you don't know their last name, and go ask them their last name. I don't think a single person in this room knows every first and last name. it's kind of wonderful to be in a place where you don't know everyone's first and last name because it's always more to learn. And I think names are important. When I lead a small group, the joke is that at the end of the small group session, you will know everyone's first and last name in the group. And if you don't start getting the last names, I'll give you a worksheet where you have to match the names. Teachers and worksheets go together. But knowing someone's first and last name is no joke. It means that you've gone to the trouble to know them better. It doesn't mean you won't forget and have to learn it again and maybe even again. But it helps the knowing take root. That's what today is about. Helping the knowing take root. In the book we're following, We Make the Road by Walking by Brian McLaren, we've considered what it meant to be alive in the story of creation. So now we want to explore what it means to be alive in the adventure of Jesus. And we want being alive in that adventure of Jesus to really begin to take root and grow deeper.
So let's pause a moment. You've got your cards ready. Uh, You're going to leave here with three words on your card. I'm going to give you one word. And I'm going to believe that the Holy Spirit is going to give you the other two words. And they are tailored just for you. Because I know he can do that. The Holy Spirit is the voice of God. So I'm going to pray for that for just a moment. Holy Spirit, you love each person here more than we can imagine. I'm asking you to remove all distraction and capture our attention so that the words come to our minds that only you know belong to the growing of each person in here. We love you and thank you and ask this in the name of Jesus. Amen. So over these last few days, someone in your circle probably carved a turkey. I did see a funny newspaper headline that maybe only Jody will appreciate. The context was how animals are treated in animal agriculture. And it said, to make sure your turkey was treated well, don't eat one. (laughs) But that would make traditional turkey and Thanksgiving difficult. So turkey or not, I hope that the relationships and the laughter and the getting together, the crazy things that were said, and the the goodbyes, and we'll see you soon, I I hope all those things linger. The beauty of family or friends who are like family is that they're yours. You're part of something bigger than yourself. If you find yourself alone in this season... Just know that you're part of this gathering and that you too belong to a place that's bigger than yourself. But back to the carving. Carving is somehow shaping something out of something, a slice of turkey out of the hole, a coffee mug out of a lump of clay. We can carve time as well. We can carve time out of our allotted 24 hours for whatever is important to us. So on your card, that's your first word. So if you would, write down the word carve. Carving is action. Today's chapter in our book is about moving into the season of Jesus with our desires, our hopes, our dreams. God opens up the Bible with the story of creation and his hopes, his desires, his dreams. Those were for us as a human race. But challenge is immediate, and history winds its way, as McLaren puts it, through crisis, calling, captivity, conquest, conversation. And into that conversation, Jesus becomes known, and in conjunction with our calendar today, we're entering the season that presents hope. We open up the story that leads to the birth of Jesus. If you let yourself be infiltrated by the hope of Jesus, the story of Jesus, that's what you'll find. You'll be immersed in hope. Hope is the only hope that we have to overcome the world's strings that pull so hard against that very hope. So what is that hope exactly? We often hear it as the promise of something better to come. Oh, great, you say. It's out there in some distant future. But what about the scary details of my everyday life? How do I carve out hope in the nitty-gritty of getting up every day? We want to remember today about the knowing taking root. So to me, the good news is not about a future promise. I don't even think that that's so much of a comfort. 
Rather, I think it's about today's ability to overcome the whatevers of my life with the knowing of Jesus and letting that take root. So how do I help the knowing of Jesus take root in me? One thing, spend time in the stories. There are long ago stories. One of the scriptures in today's chapter is from Daniel and one of his visions of what is to come. Though what he sees initially is terrifying, and you can read it in Daniel 7, 9 through 28, it ends with this. But when the court comes to order, the horn, which was the terror, will be stripped of its power and totally destroyed. Then the royal rule and the authority and the glory of all the kingdoms under heaven will be handed over to the people of the high God. Their royal rule will last forever. All other rulers will serve and obey them. This story ends with God winning. There is that hope. Or another scripture for today is Isaiah 40, 9 through 11. Climb a high mountain, Zion. You're the preacher of good news. Raise your voice. Make it good and loud, Jerusalem. You're the preacher of good news. Speak loud and clear. Don't be timid. Tell the cities of Judah, look, you're God. Look at him. God the master comes in power, ready to go into action. He's going to pay back his enemies and reward those who have loved him. Like a shepherd, he will care for his flock, gathering the lambs in his arms, hugging them as he carries them, leading the nursing ewes to good pasture. This is a part of the section in the book of Isaiah that speaks to the Judean exiles who, because of deep spiritual corruption and complacency, had seen their land invaded and they, with many of them sent to Babylon. Now the prophet is casting hope that they'll return to their land and rebuild it. The stories of God and his movement through history, listen closely to this. They begin with promise. They get detoured by, guess who? Us. By our human complacency, our bad behavior, and our, and our lack of belief. Then we have the consequences, and then we get healed. Because God has this absolute, unwavering love and grace that will always win in the end. It always makes me wonder why he trusts us with the story. He trusted the Israelites to reveal him to the peoples of the world. And here they are behaving so badly that they get virtually destroyed for a time. Really, the scariest thing about the way things are is that we're the ones responsible for reflecting God. He's not anywhere to be seen, nor is Jesus now, for that matter, except how we express them. Isn't that scary? That means at any given moment, you're, you're like kind of God or his best representation because he trusts you to be. I mean, technically, you're not, of course. He is. But apparently, we're the best he's got for the job. I told a friend recently that I'm a mess disguised as a human. That's a true story. But that mess is what God is willing to work with. God help him. I mean, like, God help God, because that doesn't sound like a very good proposition. So let's help him out. Let's spend time in the stories. That means carve out time. You have that word carve tomorrow morning 
I hope it makes you think of time. It relates to time spent in the stories. Because time spent in the stories lets God change your thought life. Your life is a tapestry of your decisions, what you're going to eat, what you're going to spend, who you're going to spend your time with, what you're going to say to each person each day. These decisions grow out of your thought life, that secret thing that only you and God know. So for your second word, here's what we want to do. We're going to allow the Holy Spirit to bring the word to your mind that characterizes your thought life. It might be anger, bitterness, fear, anxiety. Maybe your stream of consciousness is to try to prevent bad things from happening. But they're going to. They probably already have. What if we train our thought life to cooperate with God, asking him to carve us into reflections of him so that our thought life is more tuned in to hope, restraint, wisdom, waiting. So focus for a moment on hearing the word that God would say characterizes your thought life, even if it's a negative. That's what you're writing on your card as your second word. You know, God is not surprised by our secret thought life. In fact, he's right in the middle of it. I think his goal is to influence our motive. If we have desires, hopes, dreams for our life, what is our underlying motive? Cooperation with and surrender to God's way of leading us? Is that our motive? Or are we like the Israelites and forgetting and trying to go our own way? What is your practiced motive? Your thought life is driven by a motive that you practice over and over. (coughs) Excuse me. Sometimes unknowingly or unwittingly. The reason this motive is so critical is that it connects with our desires, hopes, and dreams. It connects our desires, hopes, and dreams with the action that then grows out of those. I think God makes us with dreams already planted within. Let's say a child's dream is to become a doctor. So if he he or she can recognize and begin to allow this to be shaped, the child's practice motives are to prepare in that direction. His or her thought life centers around paying attention and embracing that which would lead to achieving that dream. In the story of Jesus, God had a dream planted within John, the son of Zechariah and Elizabeth. We know him as John the Baptist, the one who announced the coming of Jesus. If we listen, God speaks through others to warn or give hope. Always preparing, always seeking our cooperation. The funny thing about Zechariah, a priest, he had a moment of not cooperating with God's plan. He and his wife Elizabeth were a godly couple who were now old and had never been able to have a child. Zechariah was carrying out his priestly duties when an angel appeared 
and said, your wife is going to conceive a son to be named John and that John would be responsible for getting people ready for the arrival of God on the scene through the coming of Jesus. Zechariah says, do you expect me to believe this? I'm an old man and my wife is an old woman. The angel said, I am Gabriel. That's like a big oops. Because if you're standing with Gabriel and he tells you this is going to happen, and you say, right, consequences are going to come. So Gabriel goes on to announce that Zechariah would be unable to speak for the duration of the pregnancy. When the baby was born, because, of course, Elizabeth conceived, Gabriel told Sidza. It came time to name him, and at that moment, Zechariah was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied what? Hope, of course, with these words. Blessed be the Lord, the God of Israel. He came and set his people free. He set the power of salvation in the center of our lives and in the very house of David, his servant, just as he promised long ago. Through the preaching of his holy prophets, deliverance from our enemies in every hateful hand, mercy to our fathers as he remembers to do what he said he'd do, what he swore to our father Abraham, a clean rescue from the enemy camp, so we can worship him without a care in the world, made holy before him as long as we live. And you, my child, prophet of the highest, will go ahead of the master to prepare his ways. Present the offer of salvation to his people, the forgiveness of sins, through the heartfelt mercies of our God, God's sunrise, will break in upon us, shining on those in the darkness, those sitting in the shadow of death, then showing us the way one foot at a time down the path of peace. So we have Zechariah not cooperating with God through uh, complacency, bad behavior, or unbelief. In his case, it was probably unbelief. That has a familiar ring. But then there's God delivering consequences, which he does, and then rescuing us from ourselves. And that blessedly has an even more familiar ring. So we've carved out time to let the knowing of God begin to take root. And your thought life hopefully has a label or a word so that you and God can start to work together on shaping that word, that thought life, into what is cooperating with him. So now we're at word number three. Earlier, I glazed quickly over the idea that our stream of consciousness tries to prevent bad things from happening. I said, but they're going to. I said, in fact, they already have, as you, as you obviously know. There's probably not one person in here for whom this is not true. If we're not in the middle of heartbreak, we will be. So our question of the Holy Spirit is to give us the word now that characterizes what we do with our pain, our shattered, tired, or weary hearts. So if you will, give it a moment to come to mind and write down on your card the word that the Holy Spirit gives for for what you do with your pain. So we're saying, Holy Spirit, what is it that I do with pain?
I was at Whole Foods recently with some heavy groceries at the checkout, and I noticed that the girl bagging the groceries was sizing me up. She said, are you sure you can lift these from your cart to your car? <laughs> oh, without me even answering, she started rebagging the groceries so that they were lighter. <laughs> okay, so I can't disguise old, but I can look on the bright side. I've literally had decades to figure out why there is so much suffering in the world. So recently I found myself comparing it to CrossFit. The coaches there consciously ignore our pain, skillfully knowing that they are strengthening us. They apply or regulate workouts to create balance, tension, and strength. That opens us up for greater relationship with our personal health. Key words opens us up for greater relationship. God, as our life coach, consciously ignores our pain of the moment, skillfully knowing it is for our strengthening. He applies or regulates suffering to create balance, tension, and strength, which, here it comes again, opens us up to greater relationship, in this case with him. If we quit fighting the path of pain, and embrace the lessons and wisdom of the coach. We're actually finding and feeding our strength. We can ask for the fairy tale, but I'm pretty sure you're going to hear no. But what we can ask for is strength for the journey that we find ourselves on. Refusing to go our own way, cooperating with God's design. Someone I know is watching his beloved wife slowly fade away, with a devastating form of dementia, with the onset in her 50s. This relatively young and vibrant woman with a razor-sharp mind is now but a shadow of her former self. His processing of his pain is literally a gift to others. He explains how Parker Palmer says deep joy can be found in the face of profound loss. Palmer says there's two ways for our hearts to break when grief comes. Unforgiving and unpredictable, as it often does. Our hearts will break apart. There are folks you know whose hearts and personalities, this is way one, they've turned into shrapnel. There are fragments, <coughs> excuse me, they are fragments and projectiles of emotional and interpersonal injury to friends, family, and colleagues. They are bitter and explosive. You never know when and who will pull the pin, and they'll literally turn into an angry grenade. They're victims. They are toxic. They project their pain and suffering on whomever indiscriminately and seemingly without much provocation. It's painful to watch and even more so to experience. They epitomize the Richard Rohr observation that if we don't transform our pain, we will transmit it. On the other hand, Palmer believes that it's possible for a heart to break open, but rather than break apart when facing the tragic gap between what we want and what is, it's broken open by pain and loss, and these hearts come more capacious. I had to look up that word. 
It's roomy, comfortable, large, with an expanded capacity for grace and acceptance and love of others. Maybe you know people like this. You actually want to spend time with them, and you love their energy. Somehow they've allowed God permission to continually transform their pain into energy and endeavors and people right here in the present. Their moving forward gives us permission to do the same. So, now what do you have to take with you? Hopefully three words. <coughs> Excuse me, I'm almost there. Three words that belong exclusively to you and the Holy Spirit. A reminder to carve out time. The word that reflects your thought life. And how you personally carry your pain. The season for remembering how Jesus came on the scene is upon us. Can it be hope for now, for today, for today's nitty gritty? We want help and hope for the messes that we are. Disguised as humans with this curious, crazy charge to reveal God to the world. I think the hope is actually in the cycle that we heard over and over today. First, God charges us to do something. Then we either misbehave, don't believe, walk away. God presents his consequences or hard circumstances. Then we go, oh, okay, and we surrender and cooperate. And God transforms all that negative into the dream he had for us all along. This year, I want you to enjoy the story of Jesus Become alive in the story of Jesus with fresh eyes of surrender and cooperation with God. What I can promise you is that only good will come out of it. Let's pray. Sweet Jesus, come. Help us to take our three words and savor new relationship with you. Help our knowing take new root. We love you and thank you for coming in the flesh. And we'll close with this. Um, Every, uh, I don't know if any of you look at Bible Gateway. It's a website. And every day they have a verse of the day. So one day this week, of course, went right along with this. And so this is my charge to you. Because after I read this verse, we'll be dismissed. Thank you for coming. And just, I hope you take your three words. And you and the Holy Spirit just have this wonderful new time together. But here's the charge to you from Colossians 2, 6 through 7. Paul is speaking. My counsel for you is simple and straightforward. Just go ahead with what you've been given. You've received Christ Jesus, the master. Now live him. You're deeply rooted in him. You're well constructed upon him. You know your way around the faith. Now do what you've been taught. School's out. Quit studying the subject And start living it. And let your living spill over into Thanksgiving. Thank you. Have a great week.